0: Episode 14, The Profile of a Fool According to the Proverbs, Part B. Thinking the Bible with Jack Pelham. Welcome to Rethinking the Bible. This is an audio podcast where we apply reality-based thinking to interpreting the Bible. Reality-based thinking is my name for a philosophy that seeks to make constant use of honesty, rationality, and responsibility in seeking out the reality of things while trying to avoid common errors. And for the record, I define reality as the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to one's perceptions, beliefs, or wishes about them. And you should know, this is a serial podcast, so it's best if you start from episode one and work your way forward from there, because we lay some foundational principles up front and you'll be lost later if you skip them now. Welcome to episode 14. This is part B of our discussion on the profile of a fool according to the Proverbs. And uh, we cut this in half. It was over two hours long. And so this is the second part of that. And I'm just going to jump right in where we left off the last time. So here we go. So uh, let's go on to uh, relationships. Proverbs 10 Uh, Verse 1, and this is the New American Standard, and this is halfway through the verse. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Okay, so uh, first of all, the obvious. Uh, A father is glad when his uh, son is wise. Well, would he be glad when his daughter is wise? Uh, Sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay and then a foolish son is a grief to his mother well would he be a grief to his father yes uh what if it were daughter instead would a foolish daughter be a grief to her mother yes okay so you know we can pick this apart in our english kind of way or even the politically this is not politically correct uh but in his culture what solomon is saying here he's saying aside one scenario look here here's a here's a scene in a movie where a son's being wise and his father's really glad about it and look over here is another scene here is a son being foolish and his mother is grieved by it. I don't think Solomon is trying to make some distinction between the father and mother. We might think that way in uh in our you know English speaking american uh thinking kind of uh life but I don't think he was thinking that way. And the point I wanted to cover from this is what happens to those around the fool, the relationships of the fool. We already read, like leave his company because you're not going to find words of knowledge there. And so here we see that the foolish son is a grief to his mother and ostensibly to his father as well and probably to his siblings and uh, hopefully even to himself, eventually if he's smart enough to to look at himself and want to change his ways. And so you think about that. What about the people in your life? Uh, do you know people who are uh, a grief to you? Where their general habit of living is often grievous, where it... Uh, they get into the trouble. They do the wrong things. They're they're not happy. They're not successful. They're not uh, self. Um, they're not taking care of themselves as mature people are able to do. Do you know anybody like that? And then the next question, of course, the better question is, in what ways are you like that? Remember, I heard uh, a friend named Raphael say uh, many years ago in a just a Bible study session one time. He said something that really uh, jerked my head around. He he said, you people, he's talking to Christians here, you people need to have mercy on God. And I'm like, huh? What? Wait, no, no, no. God has mercy on us. What are you talking about, Raphael? Well, uh, of course, he did it on purpose. And uh, the point was fantastic. He was uh, saying, have you ever thought, what all do you put God through? behaving like you do, and uh, at this point, it's just memory, I'm putting words in his mouth, but uh, being reckless and careless like you are, being foolish like you are, or rebellious, or unloving, or hateful, or or mocking and scoffing, you know, whatever it is that you do. Have you ever thought what all you put God through? And uh, then by extension, have you thought about what it costs others to have you in in existence? That, you know, Uh, Like one friend says to me uh, some years ago, well, you know how you are, as in uh, I don't want to take you to this meeting with me because, well, you know how you are, (laughs) so that I might rub people wrong. Okay, so what is the cost of knowing you to other people? Well, if you're a fool, you're going to cause grief to other people. You just are. Because you're all about you. You're not about God. You're not about living according to some righteous image or likeness. You're not interested in that. You want to do your own thing and not interested in comporting yourself in a manner befitting a human being, a creation of God. And so that's what you do. You're here for yourself, and that's going to cause grief to a lot of people. And this is something we should think about, even the more mature among us. There are things we do and say that aggravate others needlessly, And it could be as simple as, you know, just simple habits around the house. Or it could be, you know, even you constantly mispronounce words. Like, uh, I admit I would have a hard time living with you if you said nuclear rather than nuclear. This would be uh, difficult for me. I'm not saying I couldn't get over that. Um, But I also could not understand why you could not change that upon being corrected uh, a number of times even. (laughs) Why can't you correct that? Hmm, you're the president of the United States. Why can't you say nuclear? Why can't you learn how to do that? And, oh, oh, once again, I've stepped in it. We're talking a political thing, and perhaps you know which president I'm talking about. Perhaps you don't. That's okay. It doesn't matter. There are lots of other people, and I've heard senators Uh, from the other party, also say nuclear. Uh, Well, okay, is this an important point, the pronunciation of a certain English word? No, I don't think so, not in the ultimate scheme of things, and yet it is so unimportant as to make a terrible trophy for someone. Well, what do I mean? Oh, well, I chose to march to the beat of my own drummer my whole life and I said nuclear even though I know and have been repeatedly corrected that the, produ- the pronunciation should be nuclear but I am special I'm unique I'm different and I do like I please and I say nuclear and if you don't like it well tough cookies right Well, what kind of person thinks that way? It is at best careless, is it not? I don't care to get this right. And it is such a small matter, is it not? I remember once uh, when I was in my 20s, I think, and I was at my mom and dad's house and I had shaved and I had left my uh, whisker shavings in the sink and did not wash them down the sink and my dad saw and said, you know, it would have taken so little effort to wash that out, especially when they're still wet and easy to wash down the drain. If you don't shave, then you may not know what I'm talking about, but go ask someone. They'll tell you. And he was right. It would have taken so little effort. And so what did I say by my own actions there? I said, well, to live well with others here in the house is not worth it to me if it means that I have to spend the extra 15 seconds to rinse the whiskers down the drain. Didn't Jesus say something along the lines, and I'm not going to look this up. You can go look it up if you like. Didn't he say something about those who have proven faithful with little will be faithful with much? So what about us when the little things we just don't think it's worth it to correct those behaviors, even even something that's light and, and trivial. See, it's funny. Somebody will twist this and say, oh, Jack, you're just being like legalistic. Oh, this is nuts. This is just the pronunciation of a word. I'm like, yeah, well, you mean something so simple you refuse to get that right, even though you transgress against the standard English that our whole country sort of kind of speaks and sort of kind of teaches in school. You want to have your own special thing. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's hubris, is it not? This is pride. This is I'm protecting my own way of things. I don't need to do this like other people do, like the conventional word goes. Or if we want to talk about some other field, then, okay, let's talk about Bible. I don't need to understand the Bible the way it was written. No, my own special way is fine. I can do that just fine. Get off me. You're, you're not the boss of me. Um, you're not my pastor, you know, whatever kind of thing. Well, who made you? Who made your mouth? God made your mouth where you can say Nuclear just like you can say nuclear, right? And pardon me for harping on this example, but it's fun and hey, I'm off the script, so this is what you get. But I think my point is clear. Well, gee, you know, couldn't you change any habit of yours if you saw that the habit was not good for those around you? What would be off limits? I would swim the widest river for you and cross the blazing desert for you, but I won't help you take out your trash. Right. It's easy. This has been picked on for a long time. It's just an example of the the great uh, waxing rhapsodic and expressing your love for someone, but then the, the typical practical daily, um, Minutia are things we're not willing to uh, endure for their good. Well, okay, if you can't fix the little things, what does that say about you and what kind of person you are? I have to go back now and find uh, which... um, Wow, we're talking about being a grief to your mother. Wow, this turned into a whole sermon by itself, apparently. So this is, again, Proverbs 10, verse 1. A wise son... uh, makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. I think this is something that uh, if everyone would focus on this, it would radically change the world very quickly, like overnight. By the way, this is a very good test of when you're thinking um, systematically about human behaviors and you know sociologically, Here's a a pair of questions that are fantastic. What if everyone did this? What if no one did this? If you're kind of trying to think about, you know, like how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity, okay, you want to test an idea? Well, what if everyone did this behavior? And then what would happen if nobody did it? If no one were foolish and caused grief to those around them, wow. Imagine what a fantastic world this would be compared to how it is now where we frequently do harm to one another every day. Okay, going on. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 29. This is the NIV. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. So here we have the idea of bringing ruin on your family. This is, I think, more of the same what we were just looking at—that uh, the grief to the mother—well, it can get worse where the family is ruined. Now, uh, what does this ruin mean? I'm not sure. It could mean the everyday, like financial ruin. Somehow, the uh, the the foolish person in the family has brought financial ruin on the on the family. Okay, it could be that. It could be something else. It could be ruin of relationship. Um, who knows? It could also be, in the spiritual grand sense, the the utter ruin of um, being cast into the outer darkness uh, at the end of your life. So uh, what did Solomon have in mind? Those are fascinating questions, and I don't know, although we're going to touch back on this a little bit in the last uh, verse in our study. Going on to um, Proverbs 13, verse 20, and this also is the NIV. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Again, we have this against that, right? This is that, this uh, classical form of the proverb, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Think about that. Do you walk with wise people? And do you have a goal of becoming wise? Is this a deliberate activity in your life? The fool uh, is not going to do this. And look what happens to those who hang around with the fool. that says the companion of fools will suffer harm. I have tried uh, very hard to be wise. And sometimes I get it right. And some things I haven't yet got right. I'm still needing to learn those. Every once in a while in my life, somebody comes and corrects me on something uh, and they get it right. Now, (laughs) there's a lot of times when somebody will correct you on something and they're wrong about it. And not only is that awkward, but it's not very helpful and so forth. But uh, there have been times when people get things right and then I can say, oh my, look what I've done or look what I've been believing or look what I've been saying And I've been wrong about that, and I need to get this right. Well, that's a fantastic time. It may not feel fantastic. It may I may feel the sting of embarrassment. You know that flush. Even physically, you can sometimes you can feel the flush moving up the uh, skin from your chest up into your face, uh, up through your neck and your face. Uh, Sometimes it's that. You you maybe feel the ears getting hot. but whether you feel that uh, physical sensation or not, the embarrassment is a trivial thing if it means you can get to the truth of a matter and fix it. And if you walk with wise people, you become wise, it says. Well, here's a question for the proverbist here. If you walk, how far? I run across a lot of people and have a lot of interesting conversations uh, but I don't find a lot of long-term friends who seem to share the same interest of generally being working the puzzle, trying to understand the scriptures, wrestling with these ancient scriptures in from a different culture, a different way of uh, writing, a different way of expressing in order to make a good sense of them, to understand them for what they were and for what they might mean for us now. I don't find many people who are in that camp I talked to a lot of people about it, but very few seem to have much of a response, and very little of the response is, wow, this was really great talking about these things. Jack, you don't happen to be available for more talk later, do you? Uh, boy, I wish we lived in the same town. We could talk very often, right? I don't find that very often. Now, maybe I'm just not fishing in the right ponds to be able to find those kind of fish, Uh Maybe I'm, you know, people are busy. Maybe they thought that, but they didn't express it. So I just didn't know they thought that, but I doubt it. I think that generally our culture is fairly disinterested and careless in things and uh, not curious. And so it is very hard to find wise people walking with wise people in order to become wise. But it is easy to find uh, people not interested in that. And it says, you know, to the contrary here, the companion of fools will suffer harm. I wonder how much harm gets suffered uh, in the company of those who have spurned uh, wisdom and knowledge and prudence. I think that fools avoid the wise. They don't want to get to know them. They might admire them about this or that, uh, but they don't really want to get in company with them because it is threatening. Again, if your life is about deceit and about covering up your foolishness, uh, trying to look good in spite of the fact that you haven't learned goodness, then you don't want to be around people who are real fans of righteousness and of knowledge and wisdom, because they're constantly shining the lights, and you don't want to be in the light for fear that your evil deeds will be exposed. And I'm talking now about John chapter 1, I believe, So or chapter 3, perhaps. Uh, that whole 1 through 3 is a fascinating passage about uh, light and darkness and uh, the metaphorical use of those terms regarding good and evil. So um, anyway, don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but The idea here that the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, Here's a question for you to consider. If you regularly keep company with fools, as opposed to people who are wise and becoming wiser because of the company they keep, or at least in part because of that, if you keep the company of fools, what harm has become you? What harm has befallen you as a result of that? are you becoming wiser? Most people maybe could say yes, but it's got to be a reserved yes because it's only a little wiser at a very slow rate. But that doesn't seem to be what Solomon had in mind here, this idea of these people walking together, um, uh, the wise walking together and becoming wiser. In Proverbs 10.21, uh, this again is the NIV, the lips of the righteous nourish many. Now, we talked about this before, but since this is in relationships, Thou but fools die for lack of sense. Well, uh, if if we were to mix these two together a little bit to experiment with the idea, the, the Proverbs 13.20 talks about the wise, uh, walking with the wise, you become wise, well, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Well, if you're walking with the righteous, then the lips of the righteous can nourish you. But if you're not, where are you going to hear their good sense spelled out for you? And I think a lot of people just need to go find some wise friends. Where being wise can become a known component of group membership. Uh, if if I come over on Super Bowl Sunday about six o'clock in the evening, what's that meeting going to be about? Oh, it's probably going to be about watching the Super Bowl. We all know that. We understand that. This is what we're doing here. Okay. Well, do you have any fellowship that's about being wise, about being righteous? Let's do that. That's what this time is for. Well, if if you go to that on purpose, you're going to come out wiser uh, you're going to learn a lot of things, maybe get surprised by a lot of things. But if you don't have any fellowship like that, and and I'm not talking about going to church. I've gone to church thousands of times where it wasn't about something like that. And that's not to say that I've never been to church where the session wasn't really like genuinely seeking wisdom, because I have done some of that too, uh, but not nearly enough. I don't see this as being typical of the American churches that I know about. I don't know about lots, but I don't know about them all, so don't take offense just for fun here. Uh, If I don't know about your church, well, maybe you need to tell me about it, but uh, I do talk to enough people where I know that if I start talking about how hard it is to find great uh, and apt conversation in the churches, a lot of people are nodding their heads very quickly like they can relate to that, that they've been bored or dissatisfied or left unfulfilled, Uh, somehow, by the conversations at their own church. Uh, Going on to uh, still talking about the relationships, there's one more in Proverbs 10, verse 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Well, slander seems to be the way of the world. There is, and slander, by the way, is spoken language that uh, about somebody that is wrong and meant to hurt them. So you'll say, "Oh, the president is a devil-worshipping child-sacrificing uh, demon," <laughs> or uh, is an alien gray, a shape-shifting. You know, um, or the president. You know this kind of thing is constantly going on. There's always somebody willing to say crazy junk uh, as a way to lash out, a way to stab at uh, whomever they don't like. And it says, this is foolish. Uh, If it's not true, it's slander. And that's what a fool does. A righteous person doesn't do that. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Well, that's interesting because concealing hatred and having lying lips, what's going on here, Solomon? How can you do both? Well, you're not saying the hatred part. You're not saying I hate you. Oh, by the the way, look, the word hatred is here. When I was a kid, hatred was a noun, and hate was a verb. But now, uh, it's called hate speech, right? Or um, they, they've turned uh, turned the the hatred into hate because apparently it's just easier to say that. So now it sounds really awkward to me, but hey, I'm old school because I paid attention in third grade. And look, somebody's texted me. All right, so the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Do you... Tell people uh, what you think about them. Can they say something that you hate or that you find highly offensive and you don't ever talk to them about that, but you will call them a friend or speak well of them, but you're secretly harboring this offense or this sense of insult or this serious concern about the thing they've said. I think that's maybe what Solomon's getting at here. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. In other words, that you can not be slandering somebody, and slander is bad. That's a transgression against them. But you can be not saying what you really think about them and uttering something else instead, this is where the lying lips would come from. In other words, though Solomon didn't spell out what this this hatred-concealing person is actually saying with their lips, they do have lying lips. So what they're saying does not fully represent what they think. Well, I don't know if I have stretched this too far to get that out of it. You can be the judge of that and tell me what you think. But I see this happening a great deal where people conceal their true thoughts and tell you something else instead, or tell you nothing and just smile as if everything's okay, when really it's not. You can get people who, well, push comes to shove finally, and well, this is no good. I'm out of here. And where the thing they're objecting to is not really the objection. They will lie about that. I recently had somebody get mad at me about a COVID-19 issue. But I don't think it was really about COVID-19 at all. I think that was just the latest excuse. And they didn't want to discuss the rest of it. So they decided the COVID-19 thing was adequate to get angry about. And this would justify everything. And I use that word justify in air quotes, because it's not really just. And so this just becomes the excuse. And so it is lying lips to say the one thing when actually it's many more things. And this is such a common behavior. This is something we really would do well to think about, to give careful thought to our ways so now the category of anger. Here are a few, three actually. Uh, if um, English Standard Version, Proverbs 14, verse 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. This one needs some unpacking, doesn't it? A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Okay, let's look at the first part. If you have quick temper, this is not good. This is not the way God designed for mature humans who know good and evil, who've been trained uh, to adulthood. This is not the way they act. They don't have a quick temper. They will decouple from their feelings and they will watch a thing and not uh, blurt out, like we talked about earlier, how the fool blurts out things. So they will uh, keep things under control And and act foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. The one who's a schemer, who's figuring out tricks and things like this. And I think a lot of people get fooled. A lot of Christians get fooled because they are this divisor, schemer type of person. And they like to make fun of it. To uh, think, oh, this is clever. I'm being clever. I enjoy the gaming. Uh, Even think. (laughs) Even thinking of things that, well, I should have said this. Oh, you should have told him this, right? Some cutting thing. When no, we shouldn't have said that. Now, sometimes those things are very, very funny. And uh, <laughs> you know, I I think I've shared about this before. I give you an example. Uh, I wrote a quiz about the Constitution uh, to let people sort of pretest themselves. Then the idea was, if you don't do well on the quiz, you need to come take the class. And uh, it turns out some law professor finds this on Facebook, and he he wrote to criticize my quiz. Well, quiz was in quotation marks, and <laughs> so obviously he's you know he's being very snide with this and acting as if it's not a real quiz because he didn't like my interpretation on some of the uh, the questions. Well. I replied to him very kindly and said, Mr. So-and-so, uh, please tell me what you're thinking about this and that. Well, he promptly re- replies that he is Dr. So-and-so, <laughs> and uh, my son James were talking, and I were talking about this, and James says, well, you should reply back immediately, uh, Dr., whatever his last name was, and put Dr. in quotation marks. And well, that was very, very clever, and we laughed and laughed, and we still laugh about that today. Uh, was it the right thing to do? Oh no, of course not. It was very, very funny, but I think that this game playing happens a lot with Christians where they don't catch themselves. They go ahead and do it. They get snide. They get dirty with people in this way, you know. And I mean, like you know, mudslinging, kind of dirty, <clears throat> and they don't realize. Oh wait a minute, you know, this is not the kind of straightforward, authentic. Uh, gracious and forgiving attitude I should have. And yet they're doing it in the name of what's right and true and just and fair and decent and constitutional or politically correct or, you know, whatever. Uh, So a lot of times we forget to be wise about everything that we say. And uh, we actually end up having some sort of evil devices. And we show our foolishness by how we talk to people, whether it's in quickness of temper or the sharpness of tongue Uh, and these things are difficult, especially the smarter you are, the easier it is to say cutting things to people. So um, something we really need to watch, and I have caught myself doing this many, many times, and probably not a day goes by when I don't think a thing like that that I have to uh, catch myself before saying it. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 16 The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Or here it is in the NIV. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. The prudent person, uh, this is a person who's matured. They have uh, learned good from evil, and they have uh, learned what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. They can decouple from an insulting situation. They can say, okay, wow, this guy's being a jerk to me. But hey, you know, my life's not about getting treated well by this guy. I can still be in the image of God, uh, whether this guy treats me well or not. And they can decouple from the emotional impact of that offense. They can set it aside and get past it. But the fool is not mature like this. They don't have this decoupling skill. They don't have the will to do it either either. And uh they're consumed by the offense they're controlled by it. Uh, the fool's own emotional response becomes the issue of the moment. Well, I feel angry, I feel insulted, you know blah 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 and it it will come gushing forth uh, from their mouth because it's all about them as opposed to the way the prudent can step back and look at a an encounter like this from a bit of a distance, uh, get the the big picture view better in mind. And so the fool, you know, he's angry right away. The prudent person, you might not know that. Uh, But let me say this. This is no excuse for the prudent person to harbor a grudge, like we talked about earlier. Oh, he keeps it to himself, like forever and ever and ever. No, I don't think so. Uh, You'll go look at Jesus' teaching about if someone sins against you, you go to him and show him his fault. That's still in there. Even if this is in there, that's in there too. And so you're going to overlook an offense. Okay, uh, that's great. You ignore the insult, the insult. That's fine. But are you also, uh, you're just going silent here. You're going going to quiet mode, ninja mode, when you've got this underlying um, issue against the person? This, uh, This verse is not an excuse for doing that. So, going on to uh, Proverbs 19, and I left the verse out. I'm going to go look it up right now. Okay, I see that it's Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. This is quite similar to what we're just talking about. And I love this that it says it's to his glory. It doesn't say merely, well, it's good, or, well, if you can do this, this is a good thing to do. No, it's glorious to overlook an offense where you're not going to take, um, take personal insult at what someone else has done. I, this is something, what if everyone did this? What if everyone could overlook an offense and still keep valuing the other person? and value his own good temper and his own good behavior instead of deciding, well, I will turn the tables. I will you know, turn about as fair play. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I will give back as I've received. Uh, what if everyone would do this? And then again, what if no one would do this? What if everything you said were met with, well, I don't like your tone, <laughs> right? And I tell you, uh this is why I'm doing a podcast, because it's much easier for people to read my tone in uh, listening than it is in reading. And I don't know why this is, uh, but so many people will assume the worst when they can hear a little better in your voice that you're not trying to be snide when you say something. I listen uh, frequently to Alan Alda's uh, podcast called Clear and Vivid. It is about Uh, communication in science, uh, particularly about how scientists can better learn to communicate things to the general public so that they can be understood well uh, by the layperson. And so it's an interesting thing to listen to. And he asks questions at the end of uh, each interview with people. And one of the questions he asks is, uh, how do you correct somebody when they have their facts wrong? Well, this is very interesting. Uh, And a lot of people say, oh, well, I, you know, I just tell them, hey, you're wrong. Or some people will say, well, I asked them how they got their information because that's not what I got. Could we look at this together and so forth? Okay. Well, the reason I bring all that up is that in having constant, um, in having a constant focus for many years on trying to learn the Bible better and get away from the errors that get made in the various camps where they have certain biases about how they interpret. Uh, I'm in constant discussion, and I frequently find people who hold to these other things that I now think are erroneous, but they are not on this search. They're not working the puzzle. And so I'll say, no, I don't think you're right there about verse 7. And they'll take that as an offense because they're not working the puzzle. They're not the sort who are going to come back and say, well, no, I think I've got it right. I've considered about six different alternative uh, interpretations of this passage. And I see, Jack, that you hold to, you know, number five of those six. And, and I think number five is wrong because I learned such and such. No, they're not the sort to do that. They're the sort to say, number five is right. My pastor says it's right. God told my pastor to say it's right. It must be right. You're challenging this. You're challenging God himself You're probably evil and of the devil. (laughs) And of course, I'm exaggerating here, although I have met people exactly like that. But not everybody is quite that extreme, even if he is too far that direction. So uh, it is very difficult to uh, be understood in our tone. And a lot of people seem to be very primed, ready, uh, framed, sitting on ready, in perfect position to take offense. What did you say to me? (laughs) How dare you take that tone with me? You know, well, that is what the fool does. Remember, the fool, uh, the vexation of a fool is known at once. This is what we just read in uh, 1216. And so here, if you're discussing right and wrong, correct and incorrect, factual and unfactual, and people are quick to take offense, what does this tell you about their maturity? they're still over on that foolish side of the thing rather than like the quote I love so much that's attributed um, dubiously perhaps to Socrates who said something along the lines of, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without accepting it. In other words, we can set that idea out on the table and we can look at it from all the angles and turn it upside down and, and examine and ask about it and test it. And that's okay, even if we end up not accepting it at the end. That a mature person can do that kind of thing, where the immature person, the fool, of course, is going to get mad about it. Well, this idea is just stupid. Well, this that's just wrong. It's just stupid. <laughs> and that's the attitude. They will not look it through. They don't realize even the value of saying, okay, look, I think this idea is stupid. Let's, let's slow down. Let's take the time to examine it. And I'll be able to prove if it's stupid and in how many ways it's stupid, right? Then at the end of that, they'd be able to say, look, this idea is stupid. I can show you seven ways it's stupid. I've already done the work. Here's where I wrote it down. That's way more organized than the average fool tends to be. Uh, Although some manage to do work like that and still hold to a wrong conclusion, Uh, some will fix their conclusion and resist the implications of it and the fallout from it. And they will want to pretend that this does not also undermine other things they believe uh, that where the one error should have caused them to investigate even more. And this is something that happens a great deal. And this is what I call the gap trap. And uh, we'll talk about that soon. That's a fascinating uh, psychological bad habit that we have or we correct ourselves about one thing but we don't let the trickle down happen where we correct ourselves about all the other things we should have figured out after figuring out the one thing. So that I call it the gap trap as in you're caught in the gap between where you were before and where you could be by now if you hadn't stopped working the puzzle. So that's for later. All right. So it's a uh, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let's go on to the category of speech now, and there are a few here. Proverbs fourteen seven. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Well, we talked about that already, and uh, this also fit into this category of speech, uh, in addition to knowledge and wisdom, which is the first category. So if you're around a fool, what should you expect him to be saying? Well, not things that are based on knowledge. Uh, Proverbs fourteen three. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Uh, To me, this seems to be that the fool is getting himself in trouble. And so he's taking a beating, a rod for his back, it says, which I believe uh, Solomon was the one who said, flog a mocker, and that was his advice on how to handle this person, that apparently reason is not uh, adequate, rebuke is not adequate, They need to be flogged. That's the only thing that's going to get through to them. And that's a very interesting thing. We could perhaps discuss that some other day. So here he says, by the mouth of the fool comes the rod for his back. He's got himself in trouble by what he says. Perhaps you know people like this. Perhaps you are sometimes like this yourself. Uh, But the lips of the wise will preserve them. So wise people don't do this. They don't get themselves into trouble. At least not in the way Solomon was thinking about. I would certainly consider Jesus wise. In fact, uh, Jesus is the wisdom of uh, Proverbs 8. A fascinating passage there talking about him being involved in the creation of the world. And there he is called wisdom. And by the way, it, it refers to wisdom as a she. Well, that is a uh, linguistic thing uh, because... Uh, wisdom in Hebrew, whatever the word there is, is a feminine word in gender, which is uh, doesn't have to do with sex; it has to do with language. And so that's why wisdom gets called a she, because it is it was uh, grammatically, linguistically proper to refer to it that way. And the Hebrews had no problem with that. the The first century Christians would not be struggling. Well, that calls Jesus a she, and he's not a she; he's a he. They would not be having this this issue like some of us Americans might have today, because we simply don't uh, we don't do that in our language. Uh, in German, it's der Hund, the 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 dog, and it's der is the masculine form, and it's uh, die Pflanze, you know, the plant. Well, die is the feminine form. Well, it's not that all plants are females and all dogs are males. No, it's a different thing, and uh, that's what's going on there too. That's not on the script, but hey, there is no script today, so lucky you. Okay, so uh, going on to Proverbs 10.8, The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. I should have put this one in the first category under wisdom. The wise people will receive a command. They will listen. They will take it to heart. They will consider it as it deserves. But a babbling fool, what's the implication? By contrast, they will not receive it. They won't listen. This is how you can correct a guy on 1 Corinthians 16, too, and he still uses it the next Sunday to say that the church is commanded to give money into the local church treasury. He just did not receive the instruction or the correction, in this case, the command. Proverbs 13 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool, <laughs> but a fool, a fool, yes, a new word, a fool, but a fool flaunts his folly. Well, we've been quite talking about this already. Whoever conceals, I'm sorry, I've lost my place. Ah, this is, again, Proverbs 13:16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. And then in the NIV, it says, all who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. Well, and there's a footnote that says that this word act with, that the prudent act with knowledge, it says it means to protect themselves with knowledge. So if that's right, The prudent protect themselves with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. In other words, they're not protected. They don't have a way of life that protects them from harm. They stay exposed to harm by their own foolishness. The ESV puts it as the exposing is flaunting even, which is even more flagrant. I'm not sure who's got the right flavor of this, if either do. But you think about the fool flaunting his folly, we can certainly see that. You can listen to political news and find fools on both sides of the aisle and things that they say that are not, they do not jibe with reality and can be easily proven uh, to be like that. So every prudent man acts with knowledge or protects himself with knowledge, but a fool is exposed. When you listen to people who are foolish, do you ever see how obvious it is? It should be obvious, at least most of the time. It should be obvious, and they are quite exposed, but they don't realize it. You see that, but they don't. Now, maybe you're wise about one thing, and you see this, some other thing, maybe you yourself are foolish about it. We are compartmentalized like that. That is totally possible. So you got to check yourself. Just because you're wise about one thing doesn't mean you're wise about everything. Okay, the next one is Proverbs 10.18, and we've already covered this. Uh, This is the NIV. Whoever conceals hatred has lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. I think, and who spreads slander is a fool. Uh, This is under the speech category. We already looked at it uh, previously under relationships. So what comes out of the fool's mouth, uh, he will slander you or others that he takes as a threat or an irritation. And that's what they do. And it's foolish. uh, And yet, this is very, very common behavior. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Verse 9, fools mock at the making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Verse 9 is what I wanted to get to. Verse 8, we'd read previously for another point. But it's comparing the wise person and the fool, as so many of these do. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. That's scene one. The opposite scene is the fool. Um... He is a deceptive person. He's not giving thought to his ways. And then another comparison in verse 9, fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. This one is so packed, and I regret that we're not going to take the time to dig into this. Let's just take what's obvious here. Fools mock at making amends for sin. Well, who are you talking about, Solomon? Solomon. Are you talking about the fool mocking at the idea of making amends for his own sin? Or at someone else making amends for that someone else's own sin? Or a third possibility, at someone making amends for someone else's sin? It would be very interesting to quiz Solomon and see what he had in mind here, because I could see it being all three or either any of the three. If you say, hey, look, <laughs> look, fool. I, I can't help but think of Mr. T when the word fool escapes my mouth like that. <laughs> look, fool. Uh, you send against this person. You need to make amends for that. The fool will mock at that. No, I don't. That's crazy. That's He's just being oversensitive, you know, whatever. They try to blame shift it. Uh, or if you say, look, fool. Uh, so and so did a bad thing, and he needs to make amends for that. Ha! Huh, that's crazy. You're being my. Uh, you're being legalistic. Yes, that's not right. That's not gracious. He doesn't need to do anything to make amends for that. Sometimes they'll do that. Well, what about the case of of Jesus, uh, where you say, "Look, fool," because of the sins of everybody. Jesus had to die to make amends on their behalf. Well, the fool will mock at that too. In fact, didn't they mock at him even when he was hanging on the cross? Yes, they did. So I'm not sure which exact thing Solomon had in mind. Perhaps he had all three in mind. Perhaps there are other possibilities that haven't occurred to me yet. But the fool does not like this idea about being held accountable to his Behaviors and the consequences thereof. To a fool, it's foolishness to have to stop and and set things straight, to make amends, to make it right. I don't know why this comes to my mind right now, but over the years, as I have drawn more and more conclusions that are atypical for Christian doctrine where I've said, wait a minute, you know, that the way we're using that verse, I don't think that's right. I think we're cheating. Uh, the more and more I get into that, of course, uh, if if you say something about it, then other people will take exception to it. And I have from time to time had people who say, I think you're wrong about that. I don't have the time to talk about it right now, but I'm going to come back and prove to you later that you're wrong. Well, to date, uh, and to be fair, this has happened I don't know, four or five times in 20 years. Remember, most people would prefer to say nothing at all or just say you're wrong and then they leave and they don't want to discuss it. But some will say you're wrong and I'm going to come back and prove that you're wrong. Well, that's pretty rare. And it's happened to me four or five times in you know 20 years or something. Okay. But so far, how many of those four or five have ever come back? So far, it's zero. They tell themselves, "Oh, Jack's wrong. I know Jack's wrong. Duh, pretty obvious, uh, and I could spell it all out for him, uh, but I don't have time right now because I have to go, you know, to work, or I have to go make cookies for the Bible group, or you know, whatever thing." Okay, I'm not. I'm not saying they were lying. Oh, you're you're not really busy. You have time, but I am saying that they were. Uh, not right about their ability to prove it wrong. Because you couldn't come back to me in, in 10 years or five years or one year with a proof that you promised to give. But they don't come back. And so what does this tell me? Of course, I could, I could cheat myself. I could say, ah, they didn't come back. Therefore, my position must be impeccable. And there's no way I could be wrong because... Uh, Since they didn't prove it, it must be impossible to prove that I'm wrong, right? No, that would be stupid. Many people would do that, mind you, but no, thank you. I don't want to do that. That's cheating. Uh, But when you don't come back and you said you would, well, you've not kept your word. Does that cross your mind from time to time? Are you ever going to do anything? Are you ever going to decide, you know what? I need to keep my word. I need to go back and see if I can prove that after all. Or do you even remember the conversation? Maybe you don't. Indeed, I don't remember some of it. I remember a few of them, what they were about, but the others, I don't know. Could have been about anything. I remember who it was, maybe. Maybe I don't. But uh, all that gets to be water under the bridge, right? And it never gets readdressed. And what a pity that is. What if we were to keep a record of promises like that that we make? What if everybody did that? Wouldn't that be sweet? All right. So the fool does not like the idea of making amends for sin. And somehow I think this is one of the most fundamental things of foolishness, one of the most fundamental characteristics of the fool. The next one is Proverbs 10.23. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. This is a comparison here that is very easy for us because it's both about delighting on both sides. The fool delights in this. The person of understanding delights in that. Okay, well, what's the comparison? Well, the one is wicked schemes and the other is wisdom. Remember, we started with Solomon uh, saying that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And I think this speaks to the same thing. The fool finds pleasure in that. Wicked schemes, not good ones, not things that are godly, but things that are not like he was uh, created to be in the image and likeness of God. But a person of understanding delights in wisdom. Well, I know a lot of people who try to avoid wicked schemes, but they don't seem to delight in wisdom. What shall we make of that? It reminds me of, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are neither, you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That was not a happy conversation. And, of course, I'm referring to the letter to the Laodiceans that Jesus wrote in Revelation 3. Is that right? They're trying to be in the middle. So here you have on the one side the fool with wicked schemes. On the other side, the wise person with... Uh, delighting in wisdom, well, what if a person is neither? I think a lot of people try to avoid wickedness. I really do. I think they're sincere with that. I know a lot of people who do. And uh, now maybe they're keeping it secret, but I don't think that they're involved in lots of egregious sins. Uh, However, and especially scheming against people, like it's talking about here, But I don't find them delighting in wisdom either. Maybe they're doing it. Maybe they're doing it secretly. Maybe they're doing it when I'm not around. Maybe uh, things are just too busy and I haven't been around them enough to know that actually they do delight in wisdom a lot. Could be. But I don't see it. And you would think that in time you would get to know somebody and know that they're like this, that they uh, habitually uh, delight in wisdom. Is this what you're like? Is this what your circle of friends is like? Do they delight in wisdom? And even if they're not on the extreme of the wicked schemes, what does it mean that they're not on the other extreme of delighting in wisdom? Is this okay? Uh, if The ESV puts it this way, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Hmm, okay. Uh, I was wondering about this. Well, this joke thing, is this literally in there or not? Uh, because, you know, the idea of joking around about wrongdoing, uh, that's pretty common. We could talk about that. It's, it, it's typical in our culture. So I went to Jung's literal translation. It says To execute inventions is as play to a fool and wisdom to a man of understanding. Ah, okay. So we're talking about playing. Or what's like playing? And it says, uh, to a fool, it's like playing, you know, the merriment, the mirth of of playing a game. Uh, Well, what is like that? Well, it's executing their inventions. And these are not good inventions. And I'm not talking about, you know, gadgets and devices, uh, literal devices. I'm talking about their schemes with people, how to get the best of somebody, how to cheat somebody, how how to cheat the game, how to cheat at money, you know, which we call stealing, you know, how do you do this kind of thing? The fool uh, is playing with that, loves it. But the wise man, what does he love? Well, he loves understanding. It is it is like playing to him. He gets tickled at this. Oh, wow, I, I got to learn this. This is great. You know, this reminds me of my son James with math. Uh, and it reminds me of my wife Kay with her piano and learning and, and teaching students and, and all this kind of stuff. We all have our, uh, our favorite things, and some, some of us manage not to enjoy even our favorites very well, but then there are those of us who do enjoy the favorites and who really uh, our lives are enriched by them, and we simply delight in them. We like doing these things, and so here it says that a man of wisdom will have fun as if he were playing that kind of fun and merriment with gaining understanding. So, Solomon here, whatever day he chose to write this down, he said, I'm going to compare these two things. Well, okay, Solomon, thank you. That's useful to us. Could I get you to comment on the third thing, the in the middle thing, the one that is neither this nor that? Well, he didn't comment here on that. But of course, we have the words of Jesus that I already mentioned from the Revelation. Where he talked about being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Well, here, obviously, the cold would be the, the uh, wicked schemes of the fool, and the hot would be the, the wisdom of the righteous. But what about the in the middle? I think that uh, this is where a lot of the churches tend to camp out. We're aiming toward the middle. We're marketing to the middle. We're making a big tent for lots of people to come be members from the middle. How can you be lukewarm and feel good about it? How can you manage to not really be all that excited about uh, the wisdom of God and being in the image and likeness of God, but still have a place to belong? And I think that's what uh, a lot of churches are aiming at. Even if that was not the original intention, it may be the result of um, you know unintended consequences, that is, that uh, you sort of ended up this way with the camp that's about how to feel good while not really learning anything, not really changing much, not really overcoming and maturing much and becoming like God and like Jesus. I think this is a very common problem. This is why we're doing this. This is why we're having this conversation to remind people what the image of God is really all about and what it means to live in that image. And so that's why this uh, discussion today about the fool And so that brings me to the final uh, category, and only one of these Proverbs fit into this one. The category is their reward. What is the reward of fools? And it's from the ESV here in Proverbs 3, verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So here again, once he's setting the wise against the fool, against the foolish. And he says, in the one case, they get honor. In the other case, they get disgrace. He doesn't tell us whether he has in mind the end of the person, like after God's final say about their eternal destiny. Perhaps he means that. Or perhaps he means in more nearer, nearer in time, that is, that generally... Fools end up being disgraced in the eyes of other people and um, the wise will inherit honor from other people. However, this is often not the case with the wise. You can be wise and be disdained by many millions of people for it. Uh, Take Jesus for an example. Um, He was uh, scorned by many although you couldn't get any wiser than he was. So I'm not sure exactly what Solomon has in mind here, but it is certainly true in the longest term that in the judgment of God, uh, you don't get away with being a fool. And you don't get away with being wise either without getting nicely rewarded for that. Right? Both, both have their rewards, which is really good. So there is justice with God. It will out in the end. And it will be seen, uh, whether by the living or not, it'll certainly be seen by God and by us because he'll tell us, uh, hey, here's what you're like. And then what choice do we have but to abide by what he says? Because he would be in charge of our eternal destiny where we are not. So uh, that sort of puts us in our place, doesn't it? I talked in the beginning about how God um, has certain rights as the creator that we don't have as the creatures. And so here we are. He is the creator and we are not. He's put us in this world where there are things to learn, where there are things to be endured, difficulties, uh, hurts. And a lot of that hurts. Isn't it interesting? What's the source of it? You could say, oh, it's Satan and the forces of evil and the, the powers and the authorities. And Okay. Yeah, we could look at that. But today has been a practical study in how people hurt other people through their foolishness. And so what if nobody did that? What if tomorrow everybody quit being foolish? And you could find no way in which any person is foolish at all on any topic or in any manner of behavior. That's a kind of a freaky thought, right? This is a sort of a utopian idea. Oh, the world without strife, The world without fools, we'd no longer have to suffer fools. Well, if we would quit contributing to that ourselves, if we would get, quit believing foolish things and doing foolish things, then my, look how we might contribute to a better world. Or conversely, what if nobody did that? What if nobody ever gave any care at all to avoid foolishness in any matter whatsoever on any topic? And everything everybody did was foolish. You would have the instant end of civilization. All relationships would be broken. People treating each other foolishly. They would break faith with everybody. And it would be utter chaos. So we tend to live somewhere in the middle. Society manages to get through sort of, kind of, most of the time, although there's some really ugly spots with wars and other kinds of dissensions and things like that. But I wonder about not being in the middle, but being on the the righteous end, on the wisdom end, the knowledge end, the end that says, yeah, I want to be the full image of God, not just part of it. I want. I don't want to just avoid being the fool, but I want to embrace being wise. So that's the discussion today on um, the the profile of a fool, according to the proverbs. There's so much more we could talk about throughout the Bible, and uh, I have no idea how long this is run. Run. I may have to cut it into two. Who knows. We could also though talk about uh, mockers and scoffers. You'll find those two words in the Proverbs a lot. And I think they are largely grouped together for good reason because it is the fools who tend to mock and to scoff. Uh, so maybe one day we'll look at that. But I think this is certainly enough today to stop and focus on this. And, and, and it's not about what's wrong with the guy at work. It's about what's wrong with me because I can fix me. Uh, I can repent. I cannot repent the guy at work. Uh, that's going to kind of be up to him, right? So uh, really, word to the wise here about being righteous in our own right and how can we honor God by deciding to seek after his wisdom and his knowledge and his prudence. So that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening please do send me your comments. Let me know if you like this episode this way or if I should never do that again, right? I really would uh, appreciate your, your feedback on this and uh, look forward to future episodes. There's so much to cover. Can't wait to get to it. So thanks again for joining in. See you next time.